Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Welcome to a new episode, not your weekly sports pod. You guys wanted to build the real deal, follow the balla, and to grace us with his beautiful and life-loving presence himself, Kale Hayes. Welcome back to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod, my G. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you back, brother. Dude, it's an honor to be back, and it's just such an honor to hear that soft, sultry voice that you provide. It's it's been way too long. Oh hey, hey. Speaking of that voice, uh, for our listeners out there, I had a very very special listener who gave me a comment about Nabil the Real Deal Sex Appeals voice. Apparently, we have the Bollywood Dave Franco on the podcast in Nabil's voice. How does it feel to be listening to a real-time celebrity as you chat on the podcast, Kale? Oh, it's, it, it's an honor. Like I never thought that I would be able to see the day that I could talk to somebody that even had the a tenth of the appeal of Dave Franco and the Indian version. I think that even is better. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm brown, so I really can't blush, but I'm turning as brown as a fucking piece of chocolate over here, all right? I <laughs> like no other. And dude, it is crazy that amongst this pandemic, one thing has, has stayed the same. I think America is still obsessed about its football, and it's fucking crazy that what's next week? Fucking Super Bowl Sunday. How do y'all feel about Super Bowl Sunday right now, man? I, it's weird, man. This has been, we've talked about this in previous pods, but I feel like, whether it's because of COVID, whether it's because of our hometown Houston Texans being a dumpster fire led by the hand of God, Jack Easterby himself. Uh, but this is the least connected that I felt to the NFL in my entire watching career. And I've been watching football really since 07, since the early, early Matt Schaub days with the Houston Texans. And I, I don't know, man, I'm excited. You know, I, I feel like I should be more excited as we have arguably one of the most marquee quarterback matchups in recent Super Bowl history in the young up-and-coming Patrick Mahomes being the youngest quarterback in NFL history to appear in consecutive Super Bowls. And then the ageless one himself, Tom Brady, maintaining his avocado ice cream diet to sustain a 40-touchdown regular season at the age of 43. I, this is one for the ages, man. It's going to be fun. I, I just wish circumstances were a little bit different so I could have been a little more connected as the season in this playoff stretch went along. Yeah, I got to agree with Vala there. I, I haven't really felt connected to really sports in general this this past season. It, uh, it, it's just kind of been weird. It started, but it never really felt like it gained the momentum and you were just every day you'd come in on Monday talking about what, the, what had happened that pra, uh, past Sunday and so it's it really has been disconnected, but at the same time, it was a pretty good season whenever I watched. Um, as expected, the Chiefs just dominated the AFC. There was no question about it, and it's uh, I, I don't know that you can really classify Pat Mahomes as up and coming, considering he's already got an MVP. An MVP, yeah. <laughs> the the richest contract in American sports history. Um, which I have to throw in. I don't know. I know this is getting slightly off topic, but to a different football that we can maybe discuss another time. Did y'all see the uh, contract status for Messi? It's like 600 million fucking euros or something like that. And it, that's just... That just Four years, mind. 511 million euros. Holy fuck. Yeah, that's that's just wild. That's, a, that's a lot of late night Taco Bells. That is. 
And he's the face of Adidas too, which is like, all right, you think James Harden's making Adidas money? I think Messi's making like tenfold what he makes, which is just again mind-boggling to me. But it is, and that's why I brought it up. We think of Mahomes, and what was it? Was it an uh, eight-year or ten-year deal he got? I think it was like a ten-year deal, right? Yeah, ten-year, four-fifteen. We're just yeah. minds blown, and then Messi comes out four years, five hundred and eleven million euros. Yeah, exactly. So, talking euros too, so it's like fuck. All right. <laughs> so as much as we want to complain over here about athletes making too much money, that's that I think kind of puts American sports and in, in their pay to rest a little bit. They lag a little bit behind. But back to Mahomes, he, he is. You're looking at somebody that the way that his career has played out. What is it? First four years. Yeah, he's on pace to probably be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Knock uh, on. I mean, you're looking at someone that has the arm talent of Aaron Rodgers, uh, the mobility of, hmm, let's go back to probably Randall Cunningham, even though he doesn't, he chooses not to use it. Yeah. But, um, are y'all hearing that weird background? Yeah, it's my, my dog, just for the listeners to know, I have a psychotic... Uh, Australian Shepherd. She's like barking at the uh, at my washer. Put a bunch of clothes in the load, and she's kind of going crazy about it. Much the same way that Texans fans go crazy anytime we have to play the loaded Kansas City Chiefs, uh, bringing back reminiscent to the playoff game where we went up twenty three zip on them. But go ahead, Kale. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, my dog didn't mean to interrupt you. I just heard the uh, the shuffling in the background, and we just finished watching the Night Stalker. Uh, miniseries so i just had to make sure you were still there vala you know if not well it was uh it was a pleasure hey my, my countrymen will take me back sometime soon but for now i'm here with you guys but i mean you're looking at that offense that the chiefs has is just hands down when uh edwards elaire you're looking at him and he's really just kind of the throw-in as is Le'Veon bell they're just throw-ins but with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, that is just – that harkens back really to uh, Tom Brady when he had Randy Moss and Gronk. I mean, you're, you're just looking at just amazing talent yeah. offensively. Yeah. And then turning around, though, and going to the Bucks, I uh, everyone kind of picked them as a favorite coming out. They struggled a little bit middle of the season – uh, but it's it's kind of interesting. I'm not really sure what uh, what to make of them and what lies ahead for them. Um, I mean, that defense that they have is just unreal. It's one of the more talented defenses that I think we've seen in the past decade. Um, just they what, what were they were they second overall or first overall this year? They were eighth on defense throughout, and they were third in the league in offense. So points against, uh, they were or at points four, they were third in the offense and number eight on defense. So they're. Oh both wow! Had I, I thought they were a little bit better on paper, um, but looking at them when they're on the field, they just they fly to the ball. That that front four is just they're stacked, um, and and so I really think, and this is going to surprise people, but. I think that they really got to where they are based off of their defense because, you know, you never really had a good understanding of what the Bucks were going to bring offensively. Some games Tom Brady looked like he was back in his late 20s, and then others it looked like, all right, he might need to uh, really consider retiring after this year. So 
I don't know. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see, and especially uh, watch um, with what Dominique Foxworth had to say on ESPN, and I actually kind of agree with. Uh, Jameis Winston should be a little pissed off because the way Tom Brady played that last game, you know, Jameis Winston could have effectively taken the Bucks to a Super Bowl. Yeah, James, James is looking right at you in New Orleans right now, just giving you a big middle finger, like, "Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take my chances with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara right now for the next, uh, hopefully, five years." And you can Brady can keep a good old old ass Gronk and uh, an AB in in uh, in Tampa right now. He he should be especially pissed given the way that Drew Brees played in his last game with the Saints uh, to miss out on this Super Bowl opportunity. I mean, you're looking at two old guys who had very subpar, sub to their standard conference championship games in Breeze and Brady. So, yeah, absolutely. Here we are in the Super Bowl podcast talking about the future of the NFL, Jameis Winston, uh, the guy who's one crab leg away from destroying his career again. So it's always interesting how we meander and where we end up in these podcasts. But, y'all, Kale, you said it best, man. This has been a tale of two halves for Tom Brady. Granted, you know, he had another unreal season at the age of 43. The guy just threw for 40 touchdowns on 65% completion, 4,600 yards with a bevy of talent around him. I mean, (laughs) this is a team that was pretty much on pace to have three guys go for a thousand yards. If you went with a full season with Antonio Brown between the three of Antonio Brown, uh, the freaking Olympic sprinter Chris Godwin and of course Mike Evans being the consistent red zone target he is and then anytime you can boust a WWE Hall of Famer on your roster in a Rob Gronkowski I think that works to your advantage in big time scenarios so it's going to be interesting but there's some evidence here right there's if you want to look at history week 12 the Chiefs went up against the Patriots right November 29 matchup uh, it was it was an interesting kind of typical Tom Brady game. Do you guys remember that matchup? What happened? I think the what the Chiefs won that, didn't they? Yeah, so they jumped out to a 17-0 lead. Uh, Tyreek Hill was just a monster, just making Tampa Bay secondary look like senior citizens. And Tom Brady pulls his magic. He brings them back within three points in the fourth quarter, but ultimately Andy Reid. Uh, and the company sealed the victory up 27 to 24 in the final score. But, you know, if we get something like that here in the Super Bowl, we're in for a good one, man. You got Tom Brady and his fourth quarter antics. And then, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, hopefully there's no residual effects from the concussion for uh, Patrick Mahomes. But to be honest, I saw that championship game and it just it looked like it looked like they were just trying to be safe and following protocol. He, he was dazed for a few seconds, but he looked like if he absolutely had to, and it was backyard football, he would have come back and been able to play that game. Oh, easily, bro. And, you know, in all honesty, man, I keep I keep looking at this whole matchup and seeing everything that we have. And these offenses, you know, this these are probably some of the, the, the two highly most touted offenses in the league this year, too. If you just look at the talent on both rosters, right? Follow Kale, like y'all mentioned. Freaking Brady has Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Gronk, AB. And in the backfield, he has Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. I mean, we talk about stack. That's the, probably the most stacked amount of talent I've ever seen Brady have collectively. And then if you go on the other side, freaking Mahomes is, probably has the probably the most consistent tight end in the past decade and Travis Kelsey. Um, Tyree Kill is probably the fastest person we've ever seen. Michael Hardman is probably almost as fast as Tyree Kill as well, not to mention, you know, Edwards Alaire, like you said. So I think, you know, this has everything 
to put it to be a shootout in Super Bowl, which I think so many people would have asked for. And I mean, I'm excited just to see that, you know, to bring a casual fan into this. I think the NFL is going to be trying to do this more and more often just because they lost so much money this year on attendance. And, you know, like y'all were talking about, a reason why I think a lot of people haven't cared about the NFL is that this is one of those games that dictates so much upon fan uh, interactions, fan, you know, participation and pretty much like gravitating all that energy off of it. So I'm hoping they do something special with the Super Bowl to be able to get there to garner this. And I, I don't know another method to be able to garner the attention of the national public by having probably the two highest, you know, scoring offenses in the league trying to go at each other in the Super Bowl. So I'm really excited to see what you guys, man, what do y'all think about the final score in y'all's opinion, if you don't mind me asking? Ooh, for me, I don't know. I think it can go in any type of way. This one, it, I think if you're if you're going to look at the spectrum that from blowout to close game, I, I think pretty much every option is on the table there. What do you think, Nabil Navala? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm tempted to say it's going to be a shootout, and we're in for you know. Uh, blow the lid off the secondary type performance from both of these teams touting the deep threats in Godwin and Hill. And then both of them having the tight end control game as well. But I just, I don't know. I feel like when we run into these big gun offensive weapon type teams like the Bucks, I was about to say like the Patriots and the Chiefs, it still hasn't hit me that Tom Brady is not playing for the Patriots. I know that's a broken record narrative, but anytime we have these two types of teams, I think there's a real angst in these big stage kind of Super Bowl-like forums where you'll have a slow start and then things will pick back up. So to be honest with you guys, as far as the total score between both teams go, I'd be surprised if we get more than 50 points from both teams combined. I think it's going to kind of be a grind out. Damn. So Really? Yeah. Man, that's surprising. I was thinking something like 35-31. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, Kale. Just because, like, I feel like if we do do that, which I think it could happen, but do you think it's going to be a run-heavy game? Because I, I see this more as being uh, maybe they start off with the run early, you know, just to see, just to test each other's defense, kind of like, you know, see how where they're at right now. But I, I just see this being a gun offense, man. I mean, I think there's just way too many weapons to not uh, to, to not want to exploit uh, and put on the big stage. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I agree. I, I, I really think so, because if you look at it, neither team really ran the ball well. Yeah, uh, Edwards, Hilaire had some good games on the ground, but the, the main focus was never we're going to ground and pound. Both teams, I, I don't know, did did Hilaire hit 1,000 yards? I know no one did for the No, run. no, he had like 800. And the entire Chiefs offense didn't get, you know, I think they were at, towards the bottom of the league in terms of, total rushing touchdowns too for the season I think they had a total of 13 between all eligible players with Chad Henney contributing to that total so sad state of affairs when you <laughs> when you look at the running effort for the uh, the Chiefs and then on the Bucks side you're right you know they didn't they didn't have a guy who was a feature back you know they had a little two-headed ish monster between Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones the third but Ronald Jones almost got his thousand yards but not quite so both teams were really kind of at the bottom of the pecking order in terms of total rushing efforts. Uh, the Bucks only went for 16 total rushing touchdowns, Chiefs 13 rushing touchdowns. So you're right. I mean, all it's all there on paper for this to be an air it out, balls to the walls, let's just drop 30 on each other and see who's standing at the end of the day type of affair. 
But again, it's just I feel like when you have these kind of matchups and all the weapons are there and you've got two marquee quarterbacks, there's just always a little excitement. And Nabil, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we'll get a first half of kind of a grind out. Let's go to the tight ends. Let's settle everyone's nerves down. Let's kind of test the opponent and see what they what kind of scheme they're going to throw at us kind of a first half. And then things will really open up in the second half. But it's going to be interesting, man. It, it's, I don't think it'd be unfair to say this is probably the two most potent teams matching up in a Super Bowl in recent history. Yeah, I mean, what else? What is there to say, dude? Like, it's this is like you know when you when you have like a, a Shakespeare esque trying to write this down, right? Trying to write and market the whole story. I mean, it's you know arguably what the best quarterback we've seen in the past ten years from our ta- arm talent wise uh, to uh, a guy that is what unanimously the goat now. I mean. You could CBS Fox. They couldn't have asked for a better fucking matchup than this. And I, you know, I, I don't know what else to say than just to say that I'm I'm excited for football to finally be here. And you know, it would have been nice to have fans in the in the stadium and whatnot. But I think we're gonna get our money's worth, boys. And I'm I'm hoping that a lot of these sponsors are have, have put in some good money because I'm ready for some damn good Super Bowl commercials too. It really would have been interesting if uh, we could have had fans because this is is this the first time that a team has ever played at home in the Super Bowl. Bro, yeah, bring that shit up. That's fucking crazy, isn't it? Like, that's... Oh, man. I mean, if you would have had fans, then my opinion on this game would be completely different because that is just such a different atmosphere. And you, I think it's already going to be... That's why I feel 35-31 is closer than what it should be is because of the home field advantage, because of understanding exactly how the turf is going to play that time of year. And because some of the fans, that, or well, most of the fans, I would assume that they are going to let into the game are going to be Bucks fans. So yeah. I think that home field advantage is is going to play more than a lot of people end up uh, or would believe off the bat. I still think the Chiefs win, but because of that home field advantage, I do think the Bucks are going to put up more of a fight than a lot of people expect. That's a really good point, Kale. Just because I think like, you know, something like this we've always, you know, talked about, right? I remember I had like an old, uh, we had an old counselor back in, uh, back in middle school, and he'd always end up bringing up, you know, man, I'd love to see the, the, you know, the Bears in the Super Bowl playing in Soldier Field, and it's like it just makes you think, it's like, damn, you know, the Super Bowl was kind of constructed in a method to make sure that everything evened out and to make sure there was, you know. A, there, everybody was in neutral field. Nobody had to worry about a home field advantage, but that kind of throws everything out of the window by having, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time actually playing in in the city that he's actually, you know, playing for. Like you said, he he knows the turf inside out. He probably knows the personnel inside out. He probably knows where to throw the ball, where it has, you know, where there's some soft spots going in. So I think that's a huge, huge X factor, man. I think that's probably one reason why Vegas has this game uh, so close to what we actually had probably thought before too. And, you know, to that, what do you, who do y'all think wins, man? So what, you said Vegas has Kansas City as a three-point favorite. And that's crazy, man. Way to point that out, Kale. This is, this is the first time we always dream about it, but this is the first time that a team playing in the Super Bowl is hosting the Super Bowl. So that, that would be nuts uh, if they actually – I don't know what the specifics are, but it would be nuts to see what kind of fan attendance, if any, they're going to have in the game. Um but yeah, three-point favorite for the Chiefs, bottom line, man, I've learned in my experience as a football fan, 
you shouldn't bet against Tom Brady. It's just not a good move. And, and I feel like this is a roster built for the big games. A lot of veterans on this team. A lot of guys who've been there before. Antonio Brown's not playing, I don't believe. I think he's out with the knee. So Brady's going to be down a weapon. But regardless, man, you've got Mike Evans in the end zone. You've got Godwin popping the lid off. And Rob Gronkowski playing you kind of the safe bailout tight end role. It's going to be hard to bet against Brady, and that's what it comes down to for me. If he got close in the regular season when he wasn't looking completely like himself until towards the end of the season, really largely in the second half of the season, I think Brady's primed to have a big game despite his no-show in the NFC Championship game. Nice. So what's the score of all? What, what do you have? What do you have it as? You got... You're asking for a final score here? I'm going to give it to you. I got... I got the I was about to say I got New England winning. I got the Bucks winning 27 to 20 final score. Wow. Wow, okay. All right, that is a hot take. Let's go baby. I just I just don't see it. Tom Brady as good as his numbers looked throughout the year, at least for me, what you would see is he would be mediocre, even downright bad and forgetting that Oh, what game was it where he just flat out forgot it was fourth down and ran the wrong play, yeah. lost him the game. Uh, and But he had, what, three or four games where he just blew up. And I really feel that a lot of the stats, if we're looking at counting stats, were based off of those. But for most of the season, when you would tune in, he just looked a little bit above average. He looked like a Matt Stafford with poor arm strength to me. Um and is that going to be good enough to outgun one of the best offenses in the past 25 years? I don't know. I just don't know. You're asking so much of that Tampa Bay defense to be able to hold Pat Mahomes in check when he's got four different guys that he can pick at any time to carry the team. And Tom Brady, it's it's really, all right, Mike Evans, can you, can you try to high point this ball? And a lot of the throws that he made last – the last half of that uh, NFC Championship games, our game was bad. They just there was no arm strength. The touch was gone. So I don't know. The last time we saw something look like that was Peyton Manning, and that Super Bowl was a disaster. If it that was bad. Th- that was bad, and that and that was an off season for Manning as a whole. Right there was the Brock Osweiler controversy. Anytime you're you have a conversation where Brock Osweiler, Brockdemus Prime himself is in the discussion to replace you as the starter when you miss a stretch of games. You're you're having a really bad year. You're having a hard time. I think the Super Bowl tends to favor older quarterbacks, though, with that two-week rest. So Brady playing a full 16-game slate this year at the age of 43, it's going to take its toll. But, you know, I, I think having two weeks off, having Giselle give him a full-body rubdown in their spa, in their steam room, and being able to consume ungodly amounts of avocado ice cream, it's really going to help Brady bounce back from what I think was an uncharacteristic performance he had in that NFC championship. I don't know. I would like to think so because I would love to see just a fantastic Super Bowl, but I'm just not as positive as I think one should be in Tom Brady and what he's been able to do because Pat Mahomes has been there. I mean, they yeah. just won last year, so yeah, the Chiefs it's are not no like strangers. you're going up against. Yeah, it's not like you're going up against Josh Allen. If if the Bills would have made it, then absolutely, I'm going with the Bucks. Tom Brady's season, but Pat Mahomes has been there. Pat Mahomes had 
not a great Super Bowl, but when it came down to it last year in the prime time, he made the plays. He did what he needed to. Yeah. Kale, would you say though there's not one defense right if there's a defense that could stop Patrick Mahomes or not stop, but I guess curtail him even a bit, would you not say it's his Tampa Bay defense? Yeah, I mean I think Jason Pierre Paul with that missing finger, he starts waving that around and Patrick Mahomes' face, the concussion symptoms start to come back. He starts to think that he sees a full hand. Things can get dangerous. I don't know. I mean, Pat Mahomes, with who he is, that's just an extra throwing lane. That finger missing? Nope, that's enough to get that pass coming through. (laughs) I think you're going to have to depend on Dominican Sue getting mad and just stomping on Pat Mahomes in the middle of the game. Okay, well, that that could change the game. As long as you have Sue on that defense, there is always the possibility that someone's going to get stomped out. Oh man, Achilles, give me your final score, man. What's your final score looking like for the Super Bowl? 35-31 uh, Chiefs, and I think it's I think it's Tampa Bay trying to mount a charge in the second half, and, and that's why it ends up there. I think uh, I think Tom Brady scores with two minutes to get it to 31, and then the onside kick fails. Okay, so whoever loses between Vola and Kale, we need to have some sort of bet that happens. Like, does it, what what do they have to do? What do you guys have to do if, if y'all lose? Uh, I'll wear a Rockets jersey. Oh, wow. Oh, That's wow. Dude, done. done. Baller, are you going to wear a Steph Curry jersey then? Say that again. Will you rock a Steph Curry jersey then? Never. The never. Not uh, only – oh, no. You, if, if I'm going to put on a Rockets jersey, you're going to be putting on a Steph Curry jersey, or I'm going to buy you a pair of the shoes, and you're going to have to hoop in them. <laughs> If you buy me Steph Curry's shoes, I will hoop every single day in them. The Curry 8s are the most comfortable basketball <laughs> shoes of 2020. Give them to my what old the- legs. Give me to my arthritis-ridden legs. I would love to. Wow, the most comfortable shoes. So they got the claw beat. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that Under Armour could out-dad New Balance? You know who, you know who out-daddy both of them is? Puma. Puma had the, the Clyde Drexlers ranked as the best basketball shoes of 2020. Oh, oh wow. God, that's uh, that's a name. You still bring up Drexler up here, and people just fawn over him. Yeah. Oh my God. We have that. We have the same affinity here. So I, I'm keeping y'all to it. All right. Whoever loses has to wear either a rock. Kale, if you lose, you got to wear a Rockets jersey and post it on Instagram and tag us in not, not your weekly sports pod or Vala. If you lose, God forbid. I, I can't wait to see this, but you, I got to see you wear a Steph Curry jersey or wear uh, or hoop in some uh, Steph Curry Under Armors, the ones that look like New Balances. That's a bet. You can hold me to it. I'm okay with that. So speaking of the, we got the final scores down now. Now we got to get to the fun stuff. You guys ready for some fucking prop bets? All right, let's hear them. Let's do it. Hurry up. Will there be a two-point conversion of attempt? There's plus 130 on yes, minus 150 on no. What do y'all got? Absolutely. 100%. Yes, 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 yes. yes. On the yes, then. All right, next one. First offensive play. We got minus 150 on rush, plus 130 on pass. It's going to be a pass for either team. They're going to open it up with a, with a short option, or they're going to go to their tight end. Uh, ooh. If it's, the, if it's the Chiefs, if it's the Chiefs, I think they're gonna do a uh, they're gonna do Edwards Elaire off the right right tackle. If it's gonna be the Bucks, probably gonna be Gronk across the middle. I can just see Brady and another Super Bowl Gronk. Gronk's that uh, comfort blanket, and so just over the middle, he knows Gronk is gonna be there. It's a perfect way to get at least seven eight yards. 
Okay, so we got we got a little bit debris over here. By the way, I'm gonna keep y'all to this. I'm keeping tally of all of this, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be like texting y'all and everybody. Y'all can have a live you can have a live view session on what we're doing by back and forth with this group chat. Just make sure you donate twenty dollars to our group fund. Uh, no, I'm fucking with you. All right, third one. <laughs> Will Patrick Mahomes throw an interception? We got minus one twenty on no, plus one hundred on yes. So Vegas thinks that Mahomes will not throw a, uh, an interception. What's y'all's bet? I think he will, man. This is a defense that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And you know, granted, the Chiefs have done a pretty good job for the most part of protecting Mahomes, and they've put a lot of options, a lot of quick reads to get the ball out of his hand. You've got Ndamukong Sue, you've got Jason Pierre-Paul, and let's not forget, man, probably one of, if not the best young linebacker in football in Devin White, mixing things up and, and causing chaos as well. So I'm going to go with yes. I think Mahomes throws an interception here. Wow. I think he does, too. He's he's more Aaron Rodgers than he is Brett Favre, but there is still some Brett Favre in him when you have an arm as big as his. He's going to stretch it deep, and I think that's where it's going to come is Tyreek Hill is is going to run as far as he can. They're going to have that safety help over the top, and, and I think they play it deep enough that they pick him off on a 45-yard go route. Bets. You guys are going with the underdog play for Vegas. I see y'all. All right, so now we're going to go for the fun ones, all right? So first person to be thanked by the MVP. We got plus 250 on teammates, plus 300 on fans and the city, plus 500 on God, and plus 600 on family. Who do y'all got? Ooh, I'm torn between God and the fans just because they want to keep the fan engagement. And even though the fans weren't there, them viewing in kind of kept the industry alive, so to speak. But if it's going to be Brady, I'm going with the fans. If it's going to be Mahomes, I think God. Ooh, okay. Bro, I'll I go, think, yeah, yeah. Man. go for I it. Agree, I, I agree with Vala on, on Mahomes. Uh, Tyreek Hill. And maybe NBA Youngblood. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I I have no idea. You have no idea what you're gonna get with Tyreek Hill. The dude is just such a character. He's a riot. Oh, um, man, Tom Brady though. Uh, I think I think family is an underrated one. I, I think I would have to go family specifically. Dad. Oh, hot oh, take. But- that is a very, very hot take, man. Oh, my God. So speaking of that, the next one I got for y'all, bro. Over under on the first time that we that they refer to Tom Brady as Mrs. Brady or Giselle's husband. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. That's tough. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go before halftime, second quarter. Second quarter. Damn. All right, Kale. Well, see, that's the thing that puts every uh, that, that puts this question kind of in a lot of perspective is you don't really have any runway shows going. So it's it's you know COVID has really kind of put this one way out there. If, if this was normal times, first quarter, first quarter, you're talking about Giselle. Dang, uh, I think second, but I think cl- probably with maybe I don't know three fifty left in the quarter. Wow, damn! So we, we whew. I think I think people are gonna. I think they're gonna bring up Giselle really quickly into this to try to to try to wrangle everybody and like, hey, don't forget. And I'm sure that Giselle is gonna look beautiful as well. So you know, there's gonna be some sort of camera that pans to her very quickly. So I gotta go first quarter on this one, man. But I, I am curious to see nonetheless. Next one I got for y'all. 
over under two and a half plays that Tony Romo predicts before a play actually happens in the Super Bowl? Like before a play actually happens, uh, he's going to do that for the first fucking play. <laughs> Vegas has it at only two and a half this time, bro. Wait, two and a half total times that he does that the entire game? He gets it right. He actually gets it what? right. No, I'm going with the way over. Oh. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm way over on way that. He, over. Gets, he gets the first place. He gets the first play off the bat right. Uh, I think he's going for like a minimum of three plays per quarter. Yeah, I mean, Damn, not not even, yeah, not even total three plays per quarter. I agree. I look, there's still a role out there for Tony Romo, where some GM or some assistant to God, cough cough, Jack Easterby, needs to just pay <laughs> needs to just pay him four hundred billion dollars just to predict the other team's plays, like a like a Madden predictor before anything happens. It's incredible what he does, man. It, it, it's incredible that he's kind of gone off the radar too, as that you know, as the shtick of being able to predict these plays so consistently and and mapping it out on your screen as it's happening. Well, that's what happens when you get aware of that uh, that comforted insole in your Skechers. <laughs> <laughs> but Tony Romo should actually he should be no less than an offensive coordinator next year. If if I am the teams out there. His ability to see plays, to be able to diagnose the defense is just so fast. Like, you're wondering if you're a Cowboys fan, what the fuck was this guy doing whenever we had him? Based off of what he can do from up in the booth, I I mean, he should be undefeated. Every play should be a touchdown. He's truly prophetic in the booth. Oh, man. So you guys are looking to destroy Vegas's prediction, which I'm excited about. This is going to be fun now. You got me excited to look forward to about 14 to 15 plays that he just gets right off the bat and thinking, why the fuck isn't he coaching in the Super Bowl? So thanks a lot, guys. Hey, but let's also remember, this is only Tony Romo's second time in a Super Bowl. All right. So he's, he's still getting a little bit. He, he's, uh, he's still growing. He's still young. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Next question on this one I got for y'all. What color Gatorade is going to be dumped on the winning coach? We got plus 200 on orange, plus 300 on red, 600 on clear, and 700 on lemon lime. Wow, no blue? No Mountain blue. Rush? Oh. No Mountain Rush, bro. We got Mountain Rush at like 1,000 over here. Yeah, I would have said blue, but, you know, Tom Tom Brady's going to – if. He's he's for damn sure got red in there. He's not going to have blue show up on the screen. Otherwise, Bill Belichick's going to send him a text saying, "I saw that blue. I know you still think about me nightly." He's uh, yeah. Belichick is going to be Wolverine laying in bed, looking at the looking at the portrait of Tom Brady in a in a Patriots jersey. But I'm going to just go ahead. I'm going to go out and say orange. Wow. Okay. Really orange. I would have gone lemon lime if if it's. If it's Tampa, it's red. If it's the Chiefs, it's lemon lime. Lemon lime is just classy. It's what Andy Reid is. It's just it's an old staple. Red is, red is just uh, it's it's too much firepower for Andy. He it's it's his it's out of his comfort zone. I feel like orange is the real sugary one, and Andy Reid being a, a morbidly obese, very vulnerable population to the COVID disease. I feel like orange would be his personal preference. Paul, are you I thought. Yeah, I thought that he just drank, you know, purified cheeseburgers. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are fat shaming Andy Reid. I feel sad. It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy that the, the Chiefs dynasty is only going to go so far as Andy Reid's heart will allow them to go. 
<laughs> it's funny. I, I can imagine Andy Reid right now, like after winning the Super Bowl, he probably went to that place called Heart Attack Grill. If you've ever heard of it, where they actually pay you to eat a triple cheeseburger, and if you can make it out, they'll actually make give you some lard fries as well. I so. want to say I, I think that I think that's what he did after winning the Super Bowl last year. Is he ate like four cheeseburgers. Oh, wow. I mean, shit, I'll give you some sort of coma. So I'm happy he made it out alive into his next Super Bowl. So we love you, Andy. And finally, finally. So I think we've already heard about this, but the weekend is going to be performing at the Super Bowl this year. So the main question is, who is the weekend performing with at halftime and who are the odds for them coming out? We got plus 400 that he performs with Drake, plus 600 on Maluma, plus 600 on Ariana Grande, and then plus 800 for Future. I'm going to go out here and say that uh, they're going to they're trying to build some excitement for next year. So I'm going with the dark horse and Janet Jackson. Oh wow! Wow! wow. So Wait Jan- just like Janet Jackson is she going to peel his face off, his redone, remastered face, kind of a little payback for Justin Timberlake back in the day? Yeah, no, it's it's going to be that, but the crotch. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go Pablo Escobar just because his new face job has made him look like the actor from uh, Narcos season one who played Pablo Escobar. I think it's going to be a revived Pablo Escobar and he's going to put the world on notice that this face job was done with a purpose and that was to give homage to the greatest drug lord that Netflix has ever seen. Wow. Wow. That's that's actually going out on a limb right there. Hey, hey, I'll put, I'll put my money on it like GME stocks. Let's go. Boom! Let's go, baby. Well, hey, man. what? A, actually, before we actually finish this, go look yeah. and see what Wall Street Bets has for us. I bet you they've got some good numbers. Oh, they have some. Yeah, I'm sure they got some damn good numbers right now for Wall Street Bets. Let me see this. You got me all curious about it now. Uh, fucking because, GameStop! They got them all the way to 438 bucks, and you would take a share into GameStop, and they'd be like, "I'll buy that for you for I don't know, 7:30." Do you see Wall Street Bet just scares the shit out of me because it's like right when you say something good about it, they'll just, just short the fuck out of you and it's like, all right, I'm broke out of my mind. Damn, they haven't. It's literally, I see Super Bowl recession Eve. I see nothing else. I am waiting for Wall Street Bets to come out and end up doing this now because you got me all excited. You got me all excited, Kale. But, dude, speaking of this, we don't talk about football much on this podcast, fellas, but, you know, I think one thing that brings everybody together on football are some of the players i think that we've just witnessed throughout our lives and i just want to ask y'all man you know since the super bowl is coming up with you know brady and mahomes being some of the favorite players of a lot of the audience that are going to be watching it for the first you know for countless number of years i just want to ask y'all man who are some of your all-time favorite players and you know i just want to start off man who's y'all's you know all-time favorite quarterback that y'all would end up saying okay so what i'm going to do with this since we're going with the all-time favorites all-time goats I'm going to bring some happiness to Texans fans out there, and I'm going to do exclusively Houston Texans player for my all-time oh, list. Go for it, boo-boo. Okay. Who's your all-time favorite QB? All-time favorite QB. It hurts to say. I'm not I'm not going to go Deshaun Watson, but Matt Schaub, man. Deshaun Watson, yeah. only only because he's active, and that'd be the easy choice to make, and I think he's gone, right? He's it, Kind of interesting, the double standards that Matt we... Matt Schaub... Matt Schaub had some insane years. That three-year stretch he had Monster. was crazy. It, what year was it that he ended up getting hurt in the? Texas it was the twenty season? the twenty thirteen season. No, it was the twenty twelve season. They went twelve and four. Uh, he ends up getting hurt the last game of the season, 
And um, no, I'm sorry. It was the 2011 season that he goes seven and three with him. He gets hurt. Backup Matt Leinert, who everyone's hyping up as, wow, he's looked really good in practice. He's he's going to have a bounce back, a revival type year. First play that Matt Leinert's in dislocates his shoulder. He's out. And so we got to go with the uh, the Yaterade, TJ Yates. Yater's going to Yate. Yates just going to Yate. So uh, that was the year we got the first round win against the Bengals. I believe the first ever playoff victory in franchise history being led by none other than TJ Yates. Beautiful. Yeah, with uh, old uh, pop gun arm Andy Dalton just throwing that 25-mile-an-hour fastball straight into J.J. Watt's hands. Ooh, that was beautiful. Probably the most iconic play in Texans history. But I'm going Matt Schaub, man. That three-year stretch from 09 to 2012, the guy averaged about 4,200 yards, around 24, 25 touchdowns a season. Pretty good ratio as well. Didn't throw a lot of interceptions. And the best part about it is I have fond memories when I think back on Matt Schaub because I remember that Gary Kubiak offense, that shotgun, not shotgun, but the play action offense that we all took for granted, the beautiful, smooth stretch plays that they used to run for Arian Foster and the balance that Matt Schaub brought to it all with the array of talent like Andre Johnson and Owen Daniels and a few other guys uh, featured in the backfield as well. Kevin Walters. Wow. Brings back some yeah, Matt Schaub, if he wouldn't have had that, that foot injury, I think things would have looked different for the Texans franchise. Um, Who was it? Was it Hainsworth? Hainsworth is the one that stepped on him when he was on the ground. Albert Hainsworth. Yep. Yep. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's a good pick. That's actually, that's the right pick for the Texans just because when Matt Schaub had his best years there, the Texans were unbelievably good. And the Texans have really only been good one year with Deshaun. Like if you're looking at what they did, let's say it was last year, but talent wise, yes, Deshaun. But if you're looking for results, it'd be Matt Schaub. But Damn. quarterback for me, and it's just because being an Indianapolis homer, it's it's Peyton Manning. Uh, and I think if you're looking at true quarterback play, this is probably going to be the hot take. Feel free to disagree. I think Peyton Manning if, is the best pure quarterback play quarterback in NFL history. Tom Brady always had that fantastic New England defense to back him up, which made a lot of his work on offense easier. Yeah, that's and true. He always had quite a bit. Of, he always had quite a bit of talent around him. Uh, I mean, he, he was never until the past two years really bereft of talent in New England. And Peyton Manning, I, I mean, he just made everyone better. It's really outside of Wes Welker and, and Gronk. A lot of the players that New England had were already good players that they brought in elsewhere. If you look at who Indianapolis brought in, um, it was just drafting rookies and saying, all right, Marvin, go have fun. All right, Reggie, go have fun. Same with uh, Dallas Clark. Like yeah. They were just drafting, and Peyton made everyone so much better. And I, I think what really drives home that point is, yes, Tom Brady is the GOAT because you've got to combine winning with the stats, and Peyton only has two to six, and that's just not enough. But I don't remember the last time I saw a Tom Brady, a, a, a team playing Tom Brady, did what they did in what was it, 2009? You're talking, the Colts? You're, you're talking about the 2009. That's uh, when the fourth and two in Bill Belichick said, 
even though they had the lead, he's like, no, we have to go oh, yeah. fourth and two because yeah. if Peyton gets the ball back, it's game over. Yeah. And it was game over. Like it would have been just so amazing to see what Peyton Manning could have done if you know you bring in a prime Randy Moss. Yeah, I mean Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne are, are no slouches to say the least. No, they're not. It's just you you have no idea how good they would have been without Peyton. You oh, only yeah. have Peyton to go by, and with a lot of what Tom Brady had, you could look back. Randy Moss was just a stud everywhere else. Same with Corey Dillon. Yeah. Like they just brought in so many good players that. It really was the Indianapolis mantra. All right, Peyton, we're going to draft what we think will work with you Man. and we'll make them good. And, and it wasn't even just Randy Moss. Let's not forget, guys, this is a team that had Dante Stallworth coming off a 1,000-yard season as well when we're talking about the Tom Brady Patriots. Uh, what year was it where they went undefeated? That was the 2007 Patriots, right? 2007, yep. Yeah, you had Dante Stallworth, Wes Welker, the best slot receiver, giving you 1,100 yards. Randy Moss breaking the touchdown record for a wide receiver. Jabbar Gaffney, Ben Watson at the tight end position. They, this was a team stacked with talent. And, yeah. Carol, I think one thing that's important when you when you consider the GOAT argument, especially when you look at Peyton Manning and Brady, is – you really have to look at both guys at their peak, right? I think Brady's greatest season ever was that 2007 undefeated season where he broke the NFL touchdown record, throwing for 50 touchdowns, 4,800 yards, on a crisp 69% completion percentage. But again, he had all those weapons. Now, Peyton Manning at his peak, people don't remember this, but it was Denver Peyton Manning, right? 37-year-old Denver Peyton Manning, at the age of 20 or in the year 2013 throws for 5,500 yards, 55 touchdowns on 68 completion percentage playing all 16 games after two years removed from neck surgery. That's impressive, man. And you also got to look at what those players that Peyton played with, what they did elsewhere on that Denver team. Demarius Thomas faded into obscurity. Yeah. No idea. Uh, who was the other one? Eric Decker faded into obscurity. Yeah. Julius Thomas. <laughs> one of the worst free agent signings in the world by the Jags. Uh, I mean, Peyton just made everyone better. Whenever they went anywhere else, they were just not the same. And you could say that somewhat with, with Tom. But at the same time, these all the players that were brought in with Tom were good in their own right before New England brought them in. So I don't know. That's just my argument being a Peyton Homer, but I, I really think Peyton Manning is probably the greatest pure passer tactician at quarterback that we've ever seen. And he's probably the only pure quarterback who in himself gives you a run game without a running back, right? The way he was able to control the line of scrimmage, the way he was able to read defenses, audible at the line, shift guys around. His passing game was a running game in itself. And I, I think there's no other non-dual threat quarterback that you can say that about in NFL history. Well, and I, also what I think is it harkens back to the last podcast that I did with y'all is Peyton Manning had to play defense on offense. Like for the most part of his career, outside of the bookends and Freeney and Mathis, he really didn't have anything. You had Bob Sanders that was fantastic for those two years before the injuries just took their toll. But it was always Peyton, just please go play offense and create the longest drive that you possibly can so we can keep the defense on the field as little as possible. Yeah. I think I would agree with you on that, Love, like 
you know, I think nobody would argue that I think Peyton was probably the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. I think there's no argument in that. And I don't think anybody can argue about that. I think, again, like with with a lot of the Peyton back and forth that comes in is just I, it just goes down to his playoffs, you know, his playoff numbers. And unfortunately, it ends up being against Brady. Right. And yeah, it, and well, it's, it's hard just because Peyton never had that good defense. You've got to have a somewhat solid defense in the playoffs or else. you're playing against the best. And so eventually you're going to have those people sitting on those little under routes to Dallas Clark that wouldn't necessarily sit on it in the 16 game season because they've seen it five, six times now because the offense has had to be out for so long. I'm with you, brother. So it's uh, yeah, you know, I'm not arguing that he's the goat, but I think if you're talking about pure quarterback, it's gotta be Peyton. For me, man, I got it. You know, you talk about defenses, man, and you know my favorite quarterback. Yeah, I think he's had one of the most legendary defenses uh, that our generation has been able to see. Uh, for me, dude, my favorite is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is just so so much fun to watch. He he's had the Legion of Boom with him. The Seattle Seahawks franchise has kind of been on the forefront of that change amongst what we've asked for in the NFL. And you know, for me, I'll always remember that NFC Championship game. Uh, you know, outside of the Super Bowl where they should have fucking ran it. Uh, I think of that uh, NFC Championship game that they ended up having against uh, the uh, the 49ers, and he ends up making that game-winning pass to Javon Kirsch uh, to get that touchdown. Nice. Man, Ru- Russell Wilson is just one of those guys I still look at today, and his, his game is so fluid in which he's probably one of the best running quarterbacks I think we've seen in just in terms of IQ. But this guy has, has probably one of the highest IQs I've seen in the league, bar none. And he's just getting better. He's he's in his early 30s, and I think he still has a chance to get better. And that's saying something else as already being an MVP candidate. So, yeah, man, Ru- Russell Wilson is for me, and I, I think three. We got to get three. Yeah, I, uh, I I love Russell, and I think we touched about this a little bit last time, Bala, um, with with comparing, you know, who who's actually the better better passing dual threat quarterback in the league between him and and Deshaun. And the reason kind of why I went with Deshaun over Russell is. Russell, uh, living up here in the Pacific Northwest, he got he gets off to these amazing hot starts. And then kind of in the middle of the season, he gets on a little bit of a struggle when he's asked to carry the load so much. And so he does have a lot of room to grow, I think. And that's actually kind of scary. Yeah. I, DK, having DK to grow with him, I think it's just going to be fucking scary. Yeah. Now I, to, to I think so. If, if he can get comfortable being asked to shoulder the load um, with the passing offense, instead of, you know, saying, all right, you know, I can kind of burn most of this quarter with the, the ground game. Once he gets comfortable saying I can just air it out all game. The dude is going to put up some insane numbers. Like I'm talking 50, 5,100 yards, forty touchdowns. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I mean, here's I, a crazy. Here's a crazy fact about Russell Wilson, and the same is true of Peyton Manning. By the way, the long career that Peyton Manning had. Do you guys know how many seasons the Colts or the Broncos were a losing team with a losing record? I want to say with Peyton, it was only his first year, right? It, outside of his first year, he had only one losing season, a 6-10 and 10 season with the Colts in 2001, his entire career. And same thing with Russell Wilson. I mean, he's a winning football player. He hasn't had a single losing season in his entire career, going back to when he was drafted in 2012 by Seattle. 
But again, you know, you can attribute a lot of that to being drafted into a favorable situation and having an organization that really drafted so well and retained so many guys that they drafted from rounds three to seven and were able to utilize Russell Wilson being on his rookie contract. Really kind of the, the model you wish you had in Houston, but the hand of God, Jack Easterby, fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Russell did fall into a, a really great position coming out of college. But these past two years, that defense in Seattle has been pretty shitty. And yeah. what he's been able to do to carry that team in a really loaded NFC West has been nothing short of amazing. Probably two of his three best seasons these last couple of years. Which Without is- a doubt. Yeah, man. Well, shit, dude. We got quarterback down. We're, let's go back into. We're going back into the running back. Vala, as a Texans, as a Texans. Come on, lover, now. And, I, I think we already know who this Come is. Come on be. now. Lay it out. I, I think one of the most Carlos talented. Hyde. Oh my God! It's it, dark times when you're gripping for Carlos Hyde mentions on the podcast. Man, the the most one of the, if not the most talented player I've had the opportunity to watch play football. Arian Foster, man, this guy was an absolute revelation in the last two games of the 2009 season where he combines for 260 yards, three touchdowns. Everyone thought, hey, bring him back to camp. Let's see what happens. Opens up 2010 with the 200-yard rushing game and two touchdowns. The guy was namaste and poetry in motion. I mean, you could get him to catch the ball out of the backfield. The greatest stretch read guy that I've ever seen play the running back position. And again, you know, I'm a guy who's only been watching football really since 2007, but nobody made it look as smooth outside of maybe Le'Veon Bell than Arian Foster. Man, that zone running scheme was honestly one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen. I think I've seen other teams try to run a zone running scheme like that, but that offensive line with Eric Winston, uh, Dwayne Brown, I mean, it it just it changed so much for Arian Foster, and I think he just ran it to a T. I think one thing I noticed about Arian, bro, was the fact that you don't see running backs with patience in the NFL, and I think Arian Foster just exuded patience like no other, and he really wouldn't make his cut until he found an awesome hole, and uh, just that IQ of knowing what system to be in combined with that personnel that you had with Gary Kubiak, yeah, man, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say. Arian Foster is by far the greatest running back that this organization has ever seen, and during the time that he was giving you those 1,500, 1,400-yard seasons, um, he was probably arguably the best running back in the league. Uh, I will agree with you for the Texans standpoint. Arian Foster, at least to me, changed how the NFL views running backs. Um, it, it really seemed when you had LaDainian Tomlinson and, and Marshall Falk, they were just kind of one-off guys, really special characters, but they weren't going to last very long in what they did, being those receiving backs in the backfield, and kind of went away. You didn't see a lot of running backs in the league really kind of carry that forward. You had Priest Holmes a little bit. Uh, and it really wasn't until Arian Foster just started booming, rushing and receiving that a lot of teams started seeing the running backs as a valuable option in the offense passing. Uh, I mean, you started seeing since Arian Foster has been in the league, if you can't catch a ball out of the backfield, you're not going to be really drafted by yeah. the team coming out of college. Yeah, you're a one-trick pony. Uh, and, unless you- yeah, unless your name's Derrick Henry and it's just because you are Hercules, uh, that's really all you can say. 
because it takes more than 15 people to bring you down. You've got to be able to catch a ball in the backfield. So Aaron Foster is by far the best choice the Texans could have had. Yeah. That or you could bring up Steve Slayton. Oh, wow. Man, he really blew up. He really got thick after his uh, rookie breakout year. Yeah. Well, I mean, with those chunky arms, uh, kind of hard to hold on to the football, right? Oh, my God. Uh, for me, it's got to be Barry Sanders. Awesome. Uh, I love Oh, him. there was nothing like watching Barry run. An- another guy who just was asked to do it all. And from even a more disinv- disadvantageous situation, it's it's already hard enough when you're asked to do it as a quarterback. But when you're asked to do it as a running back, literally all you can do is run. That is your only option. Right. He single-handedly carried that pathetic Lions franchise and just watching the way he ran. Uh, Interesting fact for y'all, Barry Sanders being the third leading rusher in NFL history uh, is actually, I believe, would have passed Walter Payton, but he leads uh, far and away the yards lost category in NFL history. No one has lost more yards than Barry Sanders. And yet he still did what he did. Kale, isn't it crazy to think about Barry Sanders that he retired at 30, and when he retired, he he literally left the league with 1,500 yards. Like that's fucking. He, he was a year. He was just a yeah. He ran for 1,500 yards the prior year before that. He ran for 2058. Jesus just Christ! Insanity. Yeah, watching. Fact... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the fact that he did that at 30 with all the miles that he's previously accumulated and to act like, oh, you know, I just finished 2,000 yards. Here's 1,500 yards like it's nothing. I mean, the guy could have had easy three or four more years, 1,000 yards plus, but he just said, fuck it, fuck Detroit. And on the Lions, the early 90 Lions were the, what the Texans are now. Pure dysfunction. Yeah, And absolutely. he still did it. Like, it's just insane to look back at Barry Sanders what he was, and if he would have played till 35, what he could have put up. Yeah, I mean, I wish this was the era, like, when I when I watch Barry Sanders, like, when you watch all these old highlight videos on YouTube, this is kind of like the era that you really wish that we had social media to see that this guy is literally putting a franchise on his back for a decade. Fucking was all pro every year at that time, and literally did not have a year below a thousand yards. That's just, that, that's, you talk about consistency for so long, Barry Sanders was, like, the epitome of that. I mean, just looking at it, he averaged on over 3,000 carries, he averaged five yards a carry. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that, man. That Barry Sanders for for all the younger for all the younger listeners out there, this guy just go do yourself a favor, go some go watch some YouTube videos of Barry Sanders, and I guarantee you, you're not going to see you running back like that. And, he yeah. averaged. So he played 153 games. He started 151. He ended up with 15,269 yards. That's over a hundred yards a game. That's yeah. I mean, what else is there to say about that, man? Yes, he he's one of the probably one of the greatest of all time, man. I mean, me, dude. I, I I you know I haven't been watching football as long as being able to watch Barry Sanders scale. But I mean, for me, the closest thing I personally saw to Barry Sanders was Ladainian Tomlinson. Um, LT was by far the, one of the greatest running back talents I think I've ever seen in history. I remember looking at all those San Diego teams and thinking that, by God, how can how, how does this guy not get to a Super Bowl? And that would just blow my mind. Multiple 2,000-yard seasons. You talk about being able to catch from the backfield. This guy was able to catch from the backfield like it's nothing. I remember when he got transferred to the Jets that 
he literally was the reason why the Jets got so far deep into the playoffs. It wasn't because of Mark Sanchez. It was because of fucking old-ass LT carrying the load of that New York Jets team on his back to be able to take them so far into the playoffs. And for me, my most fond memory I have of Ladanian Tomlinson was I think they were playing the Denver Broncos. No, playing the Oakland Raiders, I think. And the score was 20-14. to 14. Uh, guess who scored all 28 points? Yeah, LT ran for four touchdowns that game and gave uh, gave the freaking uh, gave the Chargers 28 points. So I mean, this guy was all their offense, and this guy could do everything and more. So I mean, Kale, just how you feel about Barry Sanders? I feel that same way about Ladainian Tomlinson. Oh, I loved LT. LT was so much fun to watch. But that 2006 season that he had. I would argue it may be the greatest season that we've ever seen from a running back. 1,800 yards, 28 rushing touchdowns, 56 receptions for 508 yards, and three more touchdowns. And he, and he played hurt in the playoffs. Couldn't even play in the most important games. I mean, the dude was just insane. And also, um, is he the only running back in history to do uh, 1,000 yards rushing and 100 receptions? Or did McCaffrey hit 100 receptions? I can't remember. I think McCaffrey hit it. I think he did. Okay. I couldn't remember if he had 100 receptions or 1,000 yards. But either way, LT changed what a lot of people thought about as a running back. Yeah. I mean, I remember what a lot of people like. For me, I really just started getting into it right around that time when seeing this guy run for thirty-eight for twenty-eight touchdowns. Right, it's like, dude, you see quarterbacks now. Like, you're you're considered a good quarterback in this league, in my opinion, if you score over twenty-five touchdowns, uh, you know, minimum. This guy gave you twenty-eight rushing, and yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything else to be like, all right, man, if you're a quarterback, what else do you need than a running back? Uh, well, I mean, isn't that two thousand six season the greatest fantasy season of all time? Yes, by by fantasy standards, yes. I think this would be the best fantasy season of all time. So fantasy nerds would be probably wagging themselves right now thinking that if LT was available today. Jeez Louise, bro. Well, shit, that is that is running backs right there. I mean, we got, we got a fucking... You talk about three-headed monster. I would, I would pay to see a team of Arian Foster, Barry, Barry Sanders, and LT try to fucking be on the same team, how that would be. I and, mean, that's pretty much everybody on skates and just lubed up. Like, nobody's <laughs> going to bring anyone down. Oh man, I love it, dude. So to ra- round off our final uh, offensive threats, uh, give me wide receiver. Vala, I think we already know who the hell you're gonna say, brother. Who do you think I'm gonna say? Uh, I don't know, man. This guy that goes by the suitor name of number eighty. Oh, Will Fuller. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not picking a guy who's shooting his scrotal sack with growth hormones of various kinds and still can't stay healthy on the field for more than. 12, 13 games a season. And you're lucky if he gives you that. I'm going with one Andre Lamont Johnson. As much as I wanted to go between him and DeAndre Hopkins and the consistency that DeAndre Hopkins has given you and what I think is probably the best, if not top three wide receiver in the NFL over the last, I don't know, let's say four seasons, uh, maybe even six seasons if you ignore his 2016 season. Andre Johnson, man. This guy, you look at the quarterback talent that Andre played with in his time in Houston, the revolving chamber of different quarterbacks, whether it was Matt Schaub, whether it was the helicopter man, Sage Rosenfeld, TJ Yates, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andre Johnson just kept producing, man. The guy essentially gave you 1,200 yards in seven out of his 12 seasons with the Texans, 
three of them being damn near 1,600-yard seasons, again, playing with a quarterback who didn't necessarily have the arm talent that could unlock his deep threat. A lot of people saw Andre Johnson as almost like a possession receiver, but he was one of the top combine guys coming out of the U from college. So we were never able to see that side of Andre Johnson, unfortunately, because of the quarterback talent that he had and another side of him where I feel like we were really deprived of. And I still haven't gotten any answer from a football talking head on this topic is end zone Andre Johnson. I remember red zone sets that whether it was Kubiak or other coaches with the Texans, a lot of red zone sets excluded Andre Johnson from the play design. And so because of that, he never got to double digits once in his career as far as reception touchdowns go. But man, the guy averaged damn near 95 yards per game for like six seasons that he played for the Texans. And still to me is one of the most underrated football players because of what he had to overcome here in Houston in NFL history. And it's no surprise that he's one of the main guys, a guy who doesn't talk a lot, keep in mind. He's one of the main guys telling Deshaun Watson, if you don't want your career wasted, get the fuck out of Houston. I mean, that's it's Andre Johnson, without a doubt. And the dude's a Hall of Famer, at least in my mind. What he was able to do for pretty much a, a lackluster Texans quarterback situation outside of those a couple good years from Schaub is, is nothing short of amazing. And I actually didn't even pay that much attention to it, Vala. I didn't realize that he didn't have a lot of sets in the red zone, and that's really befuddling. Like You're wondering, because at that time, I don't remember a year when I, where I would say, for his prime, Andre Johnson was out of the top three receivers in the league. So to not have such an individual out there in, in red zone sets is mind-boggling. Um, but for receivers, for me, it's Megatron. I love, I love my Megatron. Ever since I was NCAA football, he broke his leg, and I I could never beat my cousin. So this is really where the love affair came came from. I could never beat my cousin at NCAA football. Just never could work. Yeah, I was. I think I was. Uh, I was actually worse than the Charlotte Bobcats. Oh wow! I'm going to make that reference again. Um, could never win. I ended up picking uh, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and every play was uh, Reggie Nelson throwing a go route to Calvin Johnson. Halfway through the game, it says Calvin Johnson broke his leg. Calvin Johnson still went for 500 yards receiving. Holy crud. I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's just the fact that it's another one of those Lion situations just so wasted. I, I don't know that we have, yes, everyone can say DK Metcalf. I don't know that we've seen a wide receiver truly look like what Megatron looked like. 6'5", 225, sub 4440, hands almost as big as DeAndre Hopkins or Kawhi Leonard's. And, I mean, I don't know the last time I saw a wide receiver have three Dallas Cowboys put on him, which I know it doesn't mean much. They're Cowboys, so it's basically <laughs> like playing the Foster uh, JV team. Um <laughs> But three DBs in the red zone, and he still comes down with the touchdown. 
Yeah, bro. I, I mean, I don't have nothing to say about freaking Calvin Johnson, but just uh, the utmost amount of respect. I remember every year as a Houston Texans fan, the the conversation was, was it Megatron or Optimus, right? Like, I remember they gave, like, Andre Johnson the pseudonym of Optimus Prime because of that. And it was it was honestly such a valid, uh, a valid argument. But then every time you just see Calvin Johnson just throw up, like, the most ridiculous numbers of all time. Didn't he have, like, almost, like, 2,000 yards that one year? And then... Uh, yeah, he had 2,000. He had 1,962. Wow. And he only had eight touchdowns. Wow, it, it, that's just it, that's just mind-boggling. Just throwing up numbers like that. Like you talk about, like you know, these these quarterbacks that can throw five thousand yards like nothing. I think Calvin Johnson was the equivalent to that. Just well, and all you had was a young Matt Stafford. But name someone else that Calvin had alongside him that was worth anything. I think no. for his whole time in Detroit, I don't think that they had one thousand-yard rusher. Uh, and his best, I guess combo receiver was Marvin Lewis Jr. Jesus. So it's literally Calvin Johnson every play put five guys on him never mattered. Yeah, that's man. That, yeah, what is there? there? There's really nothing to say about Calvin Johnson. I remember people saying like, "Hey, what you know? What do you attribute yourself to, or what's the gold standard wide receivers?" Um, and I think yeah, for this generation, it has to be Calvin Johnson. And I'm sure there's a lot of receivers in the league right now that kind of have that body composition of that, uh, that are just looking to pretty much make their game be one to one to that of Calvin Johnson. So I, I'm excited for. I'm definitely excited for a lot of people to pretty much try to be the next Calvin Johnson. That's going to be something to aspire for right there. And his hands, man. It's really a toss-up as far as who you would rather not get slapped by, whether it's Calvin Johnson or Troy Aikman. But those are the hands the hands of God. If you know Jack Easterby wasn't the hand of God himself, those two possess the hands of God. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, dude, for me to round it off, I mean, Vol, I, I agree with you, bro. It For me, it's Andre Johnson. I... I you know, as a Houston Texans fan growing up, uh, there weren't many players that you could latch on to to say, like, hey, we have an all-star guy, an all-star guy. Um, but this guy stick through, uh, you know, stuck through everything. Uh, Dre was here whenever nobody else was, and he was our all-pro all guy, right? Our guy that gave you 1,500 yards. And I think at the time, he was one of the few people to have two 1,500-yard uh, seasons, uh, two 1,500-yard seasons uh, in his career. Um and the dude, I remember, you know, you think about plays as a Houston Texans fan that you're never going to forget. The Cortland Finnegan play, uh, I think that's going to be one of the most fondly remembered plays as a Houston Texans fan. You mean, Cor- you you mean are- Cortland Finnegan? He beat the F out of him. Oh! Hey, <laughs> yes, yes, fucking Cortland Finnegan. And then I don't know if y'all remember that one play, but he was playing the Arizona Cardinals. And he was a slant route that he yes. pretty much got from... From Matt Schaub, and this guy trucked a fucking linebacker to get into the freaking end zone. Like this guy, this linebacker, I think it was like 6'2", 250. Two and linebackers, Johnson, two linebackers. Yeah, two, you're right. He trucks them both to get into the end zone. And it's like people forget that Andre Johnson is built like a tight end, and this guy can run like a four four. And it just it blows my mind. Again, we talk about you know physical freaks of nature. Um, fucking Calvin Johnson and Andre Johnson were two. Break biggest freaks of nature I think I've ever seen within that time frame. Yeah, yeah, I think by throwing both of those names out there, this is just kind of all for, I know if all of this kills you to say it, but this is all kind of just showing that the player empowerment movement that we've got going on right now is all the more important because Andre Johnson pissed away his career with the Texans, most of it. Calvin Johnson 
pissed away all of it with the Detroit Lions. Same with Barry Sanders. So, I I mean, it, it's you you talking about these names out there that were never able to do anything, and they're still amongst the greats. So I, it's it just sucks seeing those guys and what they could have been if they would have been able to get out of those situations. Hey, you know, they signed the contracts, though. They signed the contracts to stay with those teams because those teams can give them the most amount of money. So hey, there's two sides to it. That's an ar- that's an argument I feel like we could do an entirely separate podcast for. I tend to be with you. I tend to be pro-player most of the time. But, again, the players are the ones signing these contracts. And it's unfortunate that the NFL just happens to have the worst players association of all major sports yeah, bro. It, uh, that goes that harkens back to our old podcast about why the NFLPA sucks ass so badly, bro. But man, this was uh, we 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 definitely have fun with this one, bro. We we went far. We talked about our favorite offensive players. I think once we come back to see whoever wins the Super Bowl, I think we should come back and go back uh, over some of our favorite defensive players if y'all are about it, man. I'm down. Boom. That sounds all like awesome. Well, shit, guys. It's a fucking pleasure. I love being able to talk to you both of you guys again. And Kale is always fun to have you guys on. I can't wait to see whoever wins the Super Bowl so I can see the uh, opposing one of you two wear uh, either Steph Curry or a James Harden jersey. And I think that's going to be really, really fun for the fans. So, any parting words before we depart, guys? I ain't wearing no fucking Harden jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, let me see. Uh, it's just no, man. I honestly, Nabil, anytime I can sit down and listen to Dave Franco on the other side of the studio and then uh, just be in the presence of privileged, like the Caucasian that Kale, Kale Hayes, what a Caucasian name, be in the same room as a man like that, even though it's virtual, I consider it a win. So, Whoever may win the Super Bowl, we're the winners tonight and we're the winners going forward anytime we get to do this. Thank you, guys. Hey. You are absolutely welcome. I, I'm glad that I could bestow some of my white privilege upon y'all. You know, it's uh, I'll take always it any- to help donate to the needy. Oh, I'll take it twice on Sunday. Bye. Bye.